I'm Aaron O'Toole, the Member of Parliament for Durham, and welcome to another episode of Durham Past and Present, a podcast that's been on hiatus for a while, but a podcast related to the people, places, and events that make our community in Durham so special. And I can think of fewer people that have really given us the community and country we all enjoy today than our veterans. And we're very fortunate today to have one of our World War II veterans from Bowmanville here with us today, Bill Colville. Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you. And we're in your historic house here on the Drumlin in Bowmanville. So in this area, you watched them build the 401. You've seen Clarington grow up. How long have you been here? Well, I started the house in 53, but I've lived in the area for all my life. I lived on a farm out nine miles from here. I could see it from my front door. 407 is going through it now, and there's a, a stop, will be a stop out there at the, at the bottom of the farm, old farm. Wow. And how old are you now, Bill? <laughs> I'm in my 97th year, if I had my 96th birthday. Well, you're, you're an inspiration to many, me included. So we're going to make sure that this is almost like a little memory project for the Durham yeah. region where we can talk about your service, what made you join, these sorts of things, so that young people in school, teachers can use this as a resource. So let's talk about it. What factors influenced your decision uh, during World War II to join the military? There was... Uh... Several factors. My father had this large uh, farm, and of course I farmed uh, out uh, till I joined up. But see, I was thinking it over, and uh, I had read quite a bit about the, the First World War, so I knew more or less what I was getting into. But I didn't want my brothers to be involved. I wanted them to stay at home and look after. Uh, my father had died in uh, when I was overseas, and it was up to my other brothers to look after my mother. So I decided it was my my job to join. So it was your yeah. duty, both yes. for your country and for your family, because you thought that's right. then your younger brothers wouldn't have to serve. That's right. Well, one was older and one was younger. One was older and one was younger. But they needed him on, they needed him on the farm to work the, Absolutely. the land. And how old were you when you, when you enlisted? Do you remember? I uh, joined up in 42. I was 20, 20 years old. 20 years old. And where, uh, where did you sign up? In Toronto at... Uh, at the armories on university there? No, it was... Uh, the CNE. Yeah, it was in the, the grounds. And what reg what regiment did you end up belonging to? I know this one. <laughs> the 48th Highlanders. The 48th Highlanders. I've had many friends serve with that regiment, and they serve on the shoulders of giants like yourself, a very proud regiment. And now you're one of the senior veterans from the 48th Highlanders. And I wasn't there very long, but... Uh, the 48th had won uh, 10 battle honors. Yes. And uh, I was in eight of them. <laughs> and well, tell me about your service. You and I have talked about your service in the Italian campaign, but take us through 
um, some of your service uh, in the war, where and, and your memories? I'd be sort of hopping around. If, if, and if I started at the first, it'd make too long a story to... Uh, but uh, something had happened to, in the, to me and... Uh, well, I'll say of one... Well, we had, uh, of course, in the 48th, it's a front battalion. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing between us and the enemy. And we were sent out uh, this night to a house to try to capture it. And uh, 48th were following the principle of curry. Mm -hmm. Sir Arthur where Curry. you attack something, you don't try to hit it dead on. You take it from the sides and try to come in from the behind. They give up. This is what happened. We got to the house, but... Uh, there, they had been they had been firing uh, tracers. So it was, every every other one was a uh, lighted, and we were on a, a a road, and they were shooting over our heads. They must have known there was something coming, but we did the same thing. We circled to the sides. Come in, we got there. The gun was just sitting there, empty. Not a, well, I don't know if it was empty or not. We didn't take time. <laughs> <laughs> so we got into the house. We figured out they'd gone. So the Germans abandoned the house once yeah. they knew you overran them. Yeah, so, but uh, all of a sudden we were in the house and uh, sort of relaxed. And all of a sudden the ones upstairs come tearing down the stairs and out the front door as hard as they could go. I knew something was up. And I didn't figure I wouldn't follow them. I might be too late for wherever they're going. So I went out the side door, and uh, I felt something brush my helmet, and I dove around the corner. It was, it was a grenade. I dove around the corner, and being on the farm, there's two young cattle took off with their tails in the air as hard as they could run. <laughs> I ran faster. <laughs> I got between them, <laughs> and I got over to the ditch, and I was able to join up with the rest of them. But uh, they went down into the hall, and this surprised me. Uh, there's a, a tank had come, and of course it would have blew the house apart. And uh, we got down into this grove, and I don't know why he did, but uh, the sergeant decided to go on the offensive, and he fired at the tank. I thought, oh, he must have gone. And that only gave our position away. We were in this grove of trees. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, they started shelling it. <laughs> and I thought, uh, well, it's going to be quite a disaster here because they don't know we're in the regiment where we are. We had taken a bit of a detour. So <laughs> I offered to take off on my own. But I knew there'd probably be a sniper looking mm -hmm. for me if I, well, because I had to upgrade. We were in the hollow. I had to go upgrade. But I went, and this is where we're watching wildlife, how they escape. You have a, a, a fellow that's really good on his, with a sniper. He's going to figure you're going to take another step forward, or maybe two. He'll just take a lead and take the lead where you're going to be when you step there. I'd step backwards. I'd step sideways. 
I kept doing this as hard as I could, and I finally got up and ran into the British forces, and I told them about it, and I said, there's been a fella hurt down there, silly to hurt. Uh, I won't mention names, but I could. I do the fella, mm-hmm. and uh, I said uh, nobody knows where they are. So uh, I gave him the information, and I said, "I now I've got to get back to the regiment right away, because Mace might they might think I just took off and deserted." Yeah, uh, I said I got to get back to the regiment. He says, "You're not going anywhere tonight. You're staying here." We'll get you back. So that story, you describe it as almost it was yesterday. You remember the details so well. And what brushed by your head, you were saying, was that a grenade itself? Yes. That you felt it? It felt, I felt like something go hit my helmet. From the shrapnel? No, no. This is before the... the was, this was the grenade the, itself? The, their grenades had a handle on them. Yes. And it might have been the handle that hit. Something hit brushed my... Wow. Not not hard, but just enough to let me know that uh, that something had hit my helmet, and I dove around the corner. Now you were later wounded in the Italian campaign. Where did that take place? At the Labona River, and uh, I have pictures here of the bridge that uh, some of the others had erected afterwards. But the the river was in flood, and we had quite a time getting across there. And uh, I don't know why I took this position. There's a heavy fighting going over this. I knew we all hell broke loose over here. And I took a position in up on the embankment where I could face what was going on. Mm-hmm. But my back was exposed because I was uh, dependent on it. And I was facing this way to the left. If I had my head this way, when the shell hit, there's a tank, crept up the other side of the uh, canal, got behind, and he shot through the underneath the, the railway. And I wasn't expecting a, a shell to come from behind to get me. But it landed, uh, I'd say somewhere just a little beyond the chair there to be between the other folks. So and, about five, uh, six feet away from you. And all the blasts come towards me and caught me in the back. And uh, <coughs> I was wounded about, oh, about 17 places, I guess, altogether, mostly in the back and shoulder. And uh, I looked, well, it felt like somebody had just taken a, a two by four and just wham me good with it. Yeah, that was how it was. Uh, uh, but I looked at my shoulder and nose was torn, pretty bad. So I had no use in my arm. I couldn't. Uh, so I unbuckled my equipment, let it drop, and the fellow helped me back to the river. I knew, thought I had to have water. I had to have. I I figured I was losing a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to have water, or I was a goner. Mm-hmm. So I asked for water, but they wouldn't give it to me, because they are afraid of, of internal injuries, and they only drown the person by giving them water. And uh, 
Then that last one fellow says, I'll give the poor bugger a drink. <laughs> He's done for anyway. Oh, did you hear him say that? Oh, goodness. And what did that, how did that make you feel? Did that? I demanded more for water. Yeah. I kept yelling, and said, I got to have water. Don't you understand? And this is when he gets sore and he says, give him a, give him a good shot of water. So uh, you were treated there by the medics in the field. Were you then evacuated to a no, field hospital? Uh, or? We, I had this, this happened about midnight. And uh, I remained conscious till the morning. And uh, by this time, they'd, uh, the enemy had moved back to the ne their next river. So everything was quiet. And they took me back across the, the river in a canvas boat on a, a stretcher to our own RS, the Hague Bush, the regimental level. And they said, my God, they said, I've never seen anybody in such a mess and still living. They were giving you all these pep talks, clearly. <laughs> well, what? Well, that's the last I remember. He must have given me morphine, but I didn't wake up for four days. And where did you wake up? Where were you by then? Well, it was uh, the hospital surgeons there. And there was a Scottish doctor that patched me up, sewed me up, and I was in a body cast with my arm up like this. Goodness. <laughs> and the first thing I said, uh, what day is it? So they told me it was, well, this happened Sunday night. They told me it was Thursday. <laughs> and the next thing I said, I'm going to have a ball movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that never come off though <laughs> no. now were you still in Italy or were you in England by then don't know that was still in uh, still in Italy Italy I still had to get back to the main hospital I think it was the 14th and did your family know you were wounded I did ask this is probably a little later though to let them know that I was all right Okay. But I had I still had a while to, to go. Well, and uh, then I got back to the 14th hospital. They attended to a lot of the other wounds. I cleaned about my heel, and uh, they said, oh, it's probably a callus on it. So they didn't do anything about it. And I kept complaining. So uh, they took me into the operating room, and... Uh, Gave me the truth serum. Oh yeah, that was one of the probably one of the first ones among the one of the first ones they ever used it on. Churchill was another one. Yeah, and uh, of course they had the fun to, <laughs> trying to see if I what you get you talking listening to you. Yeah, and this nurse, uh, she never leaves the hospital. But afterwards, she came in to see me. He said, I'm already engaged. <laughs> <laughs> so with the truth serum, you were you were make, making marriage proposals. <laughs> A true Canadian soldier. <laughs> and uh, I often thought I'd get in touch with her because she lived in Kingston. That's where she... Oh, goodness. That's where 
but I never got the courage to. <laughs> well, that Scottish doctor obviously did a good job patching you up. He did. Because here you are, yeah, decades right. later, and we're talking about it, and there's some laughter and some tears. So you've told me a bit about being wounded before, but that's I think people will find that fascinating, uh, the toll, the personal toll. But let's branch from there. What's one of the memories, a special memory of, of your time uh, in the war that, that stands out that you'd like to share with us? I know you've talked a bit about the the Hitler line and, and some of the, the work of your comrades there. Okay, we'll go to the Hitler line, the casino. Mm-hmm, Monte Cassino. Uh, the Gustav line, they've been working on it uh, all winter, to, to, and they finally broke through to it. So we had to go from the Gustav line to the Hitler line. And... Uh, that was pretty hard fighting. Uh, well, there's an event there that uh, uh, it was amazing. There was such a shelling going on trying to get the tanks. And I, we were beside the tanks. I dove for the ground. I couldn't get there. I was suspended in the air. That's how heavy it was. Because the ground was hollowed out right below you, or the concussion? No, no, no. I was from the concussion. I couldn't get down. I was in the up, hung up in the air for how long? I, that seemed an eternity because I couldn't get down. We were always head for the ground. As soon as we get attacked like that, you don't stand up. You head for the ground. Mm-hmm. So I dove for the ground, but I didn't make it. But I landed beside one of the nicest fellows that I've, <coughs> and we've been con- quite well acquainted together. And uh, I reached over and said, uh, okay, we're moving. I didn't wait. I said, just said, we're moving. He didn't move. And I found out later he couldn't move. Mm. So your regiment took some pretty heavy casualties there? Uh, yes, we're, we were losing men. We had still three miles to go to hit the hit the Hitler line. But uh, the casino town itself was the whole town was evacuated. Mm-hmm. Nobody there. We drove through it. I remember we were still on the... Uh, trucks getting us to our, our takeoff position. And from there, it was pretty heavy fighting. But uh, <laughs> the two fellows in the 48th uh, were told to, uh, well, we got up, first of all, we got up. Before we were getting there, these two fellows were, uh, said to uh, try to find this the where the two rivers met and see if they could do it, what explore it. And then the order says for them to, no, get back. They stayed there and they set up uh, their own uh, 
six-pounder. It was the only time that they ever, the 48th ever used it, or any other regiment, as far as I know, to, to tackle tanks. Hmm. The three of them come out of the line, so we knew there had to be an opening for the tanks to get out, to come out to find out what was going on at this, where the river's bent. But the, uh, <clears throat> the fellows had stayed there, and uh, and then when the, the rest had joined, uh, they shot up the ferry lights and exposed these three tanks that was crossing the bridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did, if they did take and waited a little bit longer and got the last guy, they'd got the, trapped the two at the front, but they, they got the two in front. The last guy got and got, got away. Back, yeah, he got back in. But what? they, uh, for those two fellows, they got their medals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, there was some incredible fighting in the Italian campaign. And your regiment and, and the Ontario regiment from here uh, yes, all were and, part of it. Um, and uh, the Hasty Peas, like HTPs, correct, this area. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, they're, uh, as well, we've got to go and help the 48th. We've got to get them out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that was their motto. <laughs> we're going to help the 48th get them out of trouble. <laughs> well, it may still be their motto. Um, and, and they did. So, Bill, thank you for sharing some of those. So, what, when you came back from the war, were you still dealing with some of your injuries? Oh, yes. I was, uh, uh, first of all, you had to be discharged. I was offered a, a complete outfit again. Silly me, I thought, oh, no, I'll soon get into civvies. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't take. I should have taken a, another outfit to wear just to like get felt comfortable because at that time I hadn't uh, been discharged. But I think it was still, uh, if I remember right, it was the, the June the eighth. That but I just had to be connected to the hospital to get treatment, mm -hmm. and. Uh, that was it for me to go to uh, Toronto every day for, and I had a talk with them. And said, Look, I said, you tell me what I'm supposed to do, or what you wanted me to do. Oh, I'll just exercise it. I said, I can do that at home. So you came back to Bowmanville? Yeah, I come home. And where did you work after the war? Uh, I decided that most of the the ones who were in the Goodyear. Goodyear, yeah. Yeah, and so I went down and uh, I asked, and they said, uh, well, we, well, we don't have a, a place for you just, just now. And so I started back up the sidewalk it wasn't very long. He was after me. Come on, get in here. <laughs> <laughs> so you were turned away for two minutes. And, and they knew you were a veteran. I'm not sure whether they did or not. Yeah. I was just asking for a job. Oh, good for you. But, but, uh, well, and let me speak for a second, Bill, because you and I share an interest in, in our military history. 
the Colville family uh, served in a huge way, and certainly the your cousins uh, in the Air Force are are quite well known because of the sacrifice to the family and the park in their memory. Tell us for a moment about uh, your cousins, the, the Colville brothers. Well, uh, I have books here uh, uh, and all kinds of pictures from the, 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 on the, the whole family. And uh, they, they were a little older than me. And of course, uh, as youngsters, we didn't get to, they, well, he's younger, he'd go and play by himself if he had to. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the youngest one, uh, they called him Sandy, when it should have been Alec, it was called, should have been called Sandy, but they called him Pooter. 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 Scotch, put it there. Put it there. <laughs> put it there, Pooter. Pooter. <laughs> so he was Pooter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, William was the first one from Bonville to be killed, and that was uh, it was in, in Newfoundland mm -hmm. where they uh, were doing uh, duty from there. Mm -hmm. So all three of them became pilots. Yes, mm -hmm. the younger one. Uh, He'd rather play sports in school, and, and, and uh, so he decided he better be get back and uh, and get enough education. That, uh, he didn't have the. He knew that uh, he couldn't be a pilot unless he got a little more education. So uh, he graduated, and uh, his mother and uh, him had uh, the governor general had quite a talk with them. And I have a picture here of showing that. And uh, his sister was there at the time, too. Uh, but during the war, I mean, I'm breaking, breaking away a bit, maybe, but uh, in that family, there were the three boys killed, the father had died, and uh, one of the the oldest girl, Margaret, she died at uh, she was only thirty six years old when she died. Hmm. So that almost wiped the family out. <laughs> and they they were three <laughs> brothers that both died uh, in service as pilots in the yes. RCAF. So a lot of kids here might be familiar with the the movie Saving Private Ryan where they pull out a young man because his brother's passed. Bowmanville itself, the Cawville family, was one that three brothers in the Air Force uh, all died in different, different theaters. Um, and for people that don't know, the Rotary Park on Queen Street here in Bowmanville has a plaque commemorating the Cawville brothers. Um, you and I have commemorated them at the museum and uh, and uh, the Bowmanville Legion has a lovely portrait of them as well. So your family has an amazing uh, history of service. And you want to leave a, a permanent memory. You'd like 
to see a, a museum here, wouldn't you? Yes. Right here in this house. You'd like, well, many people may not know, but you're the person that first came up with the idea of having a monument to the Highway of Heroes. Now, we didn't put it up here on your on your drumlin, but we put it down in the fields uh, that you can see from where we are today. And uh, there's a great picture you have of you and I at that dedication of that event with uh, General Hillier and the mayor and members of the community. But the idea to commemorate came from a World War II veteran. So I think what a great way to get Durham past and present back back on the podcast circuit than to spend some time with a passionate historian for our community and a tremendous veteran and a tremendous friend. Bill, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you.